Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Don't ever compromise to gain more power. Power is intoxicating and it gets us to do things we wouldn't normally do. And when you are in a position of power, maybe you've been promoted at work, you will start to do things that you know your Christian principles and the Word of God say you shouldn't do, but sometimes we'll compromise because we've got a taste of power. Have you ever witnessed someone on a power trip? Sometimes it's a symptom of low self-esteem, and other times it comes from a need to be in control. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is warning us against the temptation to pursue power by studying four Old Testament characters found in 2 Samuel. No matter our motivation, even if it's good, Pastor Mike says we must take care to let God give us power rather than go after it ourselves. Well, let's get started. I want to warn you, if I can, from the lives of four individuals in 2 Samuel chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there and look at these four lives in 2 Samuel chapter 3. And all of them are involved in this chapter in power plays. Power plays, let me tell you, that all miserably failed. Let's begin with King David. We've already learned he's not immune to sin. As a matter of fact, he commits some of the most common sins we see even in the church today. It takes an interesting form, though, if you look at it in verse number two. Verse number two, the text says that sons were born to David in Hebron. Well, okay, that's not a big alarming statement. There's nothing seemingly wrong with that. But if you look carefully in verses two through five, you'll see that as these six sons were listed... They all have different moms. (laughs) And this was often the practice of the kings, to have marriage with particular women of influence and power in families so that they could build their political base. And David was involved in that. And if you have been uh, enculturated, if you will, in the Old Testament society, you yawn your way through this and say, well, that's just the way it was in those days. But was this really God's plan? You do remember, don't you, back in Genesis chapter 1, that God didn't create Adam and Eve and Betty and Sue and Linda. You're you're familiar with that, right? It was Adam and Eve. God planned marriage, and he said, here's how it works. One man, one woman. This makes a marriage, and that's the way I want it to be. And Jesus pointed that out, didn't he, in the New Testament? This is the way it was from, he says, this is a powerful Greek term, from the beginning. This was God's prototype. This was his plan. And the kings were the worst violators of God's divine standard of a man and a woman. Six wives, six sons. What was he doing? He was using marriage as a means to leverage power. And that's just not right. Number one on your outline, if you're taking notes, avoid the mistake of David. Don't use relationships to gain power. I can get close to that person, then I can get that. Now, there's a difference between I know someone who may be able to help and I need to get to know someone who can help me. You understand the difference, don't you? God never intended relationships to be something we use. People aren't things that we use. People are persons that we love, and that's a huge difference. Don't use people. David was into using people to gain power. 
There's another man here I told you about. His name is Ishbosheth. He is the ruling king in the northern tribe of Israel. If you'd look in verse number six, jump back up to verse number six, he's got a little problem in his kingdom. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David was going on, and Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now, Ishbosheth is ruling over the house of Saul, over the Benjamites, and over all the northern tribes of Israel. But he's got a guy in his kingdom, his dad's old commander, who's his commander of the armies, and he keeps strengthening his position. Now, I'm assuming now in verse number seven, what's about to transpire is part of Ishbosheth's paranoia. This guy keeps creeping up and taking more and more positions of authority and getting more and more influence in the kingdom, and I don't like that. It says in verse seven, now Saul had a concubine named Rizpah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Now, the text is pretty, you know, uh, clear about what happens in people's lives. And it does not ever say in this passage that he did have sex with Rizpah. I mean, there's no evidence of that. But there's an accusation. And the accusation comes on the heels of the statement that Abner keeps gaining position. So here comes this accusation. Maybe it was based on nothing. Maybe it was based to quell his, his up-and-coming uh, influence in the kingdom. Maybe it was that he really suspected something and Rizpah and Abner were making eyes at each other in a meeting or something. I don't know. But Ishbosheth says, that's enough. You've been sleeping with that concubine, haven't you? And that would be a bad thing because that would be as though he was trying to usurp the place of Saul. And that would be a bad thing. And so Ishbosheth says, what are you doing? Abner blows up. I can't believe you're accusing me of this. Verses 8 through 10 talk about his response. But look at verse 11. This sums up Ishbosheth's whole mindset. It said, Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner because, underline it, he was afraid of him. Why was he afraid? He was afraid of Abner because Abner might supplant his leadership. He could perhaps take over the influence that Ishbosheth had. Ishbosheth was paranoid. Number two on your outline, let me give you the prohibition, and then we'll talk about why. Second thing you and I should never do in our positions of leadership or influence, we should never be paranoid. We should not be paranoid. Now, let me tell you why we shouldn't be paranoid. We shouldn't be paranoid because paranoia reflects something about our understanding of authority in the first place. You can see, can't you, that Ishbosheth in his mind thought Abner could take my place. And so in his mind, intrinsic in that fear is that Abner really has the power to usurp his authority or that perhaps that he was in a position of authority because of what he had done. Keep your finger here and turn to Daniel chapter 4 with me, please. Let me show you that in Daniel chapter 4, we have a great explanation that should never be forgotten about where power and authority actually come from. Daniel chapter 4, verse number 28. You remember this story? This all happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, at the time, the most powerful, influential king Babylon had ever seen, living in the days of prosperity and great wealth. This was a wonderfully strong kingdom, and he was doing just fine. Twelve months later, the text says in verse 29, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, and you can imagine the thoughts here, you know, the words coming out of his mouth. Verse 30, he says, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? I mean, he's feeling really good about himself right here and about all he's accomplished. Walking around going, wow, this is a really nifty place and I am really cool for putting it all together. And I've really accomplished a lot and it's so neat that I was able to do this just to reflect what a wonderful person I am. 
He's totally believing that his leadership is based on his skills and his leadership abilities. That's what he believes. And by the way, you can see in this particular statement, it's dripping with pride. When we don't understand where leadership comes from and things are going good, we're filled with pride. When things are going bad, we're filled with paranoia. Do you see that? But it all relates to the same problem. We don't understand the source of authority. We don't understand leadership and how it's dispensed. Because if we do, we're neither prideful nor are we paranoid. And God's about to teach him a lesson he'll never forget. It says in verse 31, when the words were still on his lips, a voice came from heaven and said, this is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Now I'm going to say, just a minute here, God. You can't take that from me. At least that's what I think I'm going to say, because if I really think I've earned it, you don't take that from me. Let's say I work all week. I work really hard. I get a paycheck at the end of the week. You come up and say, give me that paycheck, and you take it from me. I'm going to be ticked. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be mad at you. And I'm going to say, you can't take that. Why? Because I, what? Earned it. See, if you think that your position of leadership and influence in your life is something that you have earned, I understand that you may have sweated a lot, you may have worked a lot, you may have been educated a lot, you may have done a lot of things to seemingly, quote unquote, get where you are. But if you really think that your leadership is dependent on that and your influence is intrinsically bound up in that, you don't understand leadership. Because leadership, influence, authority, and power is something dispensed from God. And God can give it and God can take it away. You know that, right? Because sometimes people with everything in place, having done everything right, still don't have any authority or power or position, right? You know that. That can happen. So it's really not based on you and it's not based on others. And Ishbosheth was sitting around worried that his position might be taken away, even though he was just an interim temporary king, when in reality he should have just relaxed. Because when God was done using him as a leader in the north, it would be over. And he couldn't fight to keep it if he wanted to. Well, what happens? Do you know the story? What happens to Nebuchadnezzar? He gets sent out like a lunatic running around in the fields with no clothes on, growing long fingernails and eating grass like a cow. That's what happens. You don't believe it. You can read it later. But it's all right there in the text. And at the end of that time, in verse 34, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised, note these words, the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases, underline this, with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. What's that mean? Every ounce of influence you have, if you have it, it's on loan. God can give it and God can take it. You know, that does two things for me. It keeps me from pride and it keeps me from Ishbosheth's problem. It keeps me from paranoia. Because there's nothing I can do intrinsically in my situation to keep it. And if someone comes and threatens it, if it's my time to give it up, in God's mind, it's going to be given up. So I just need to relax. Relax, because I know where authority comes from. And I know who can take it, and I know who can't. Men can't take it away. God can take it away. He'll use circumstances. I understand that. He'll use human beings. I understand that. But God is ultimately in charge of how much authority, power, and influence you have in this life. So number one, never use relationships to gain more power. Number two, never be paranoid when you have it. If you have authority, if you have leadership, don't be paranoid. Because it's a waste of your energy. It's much like the weather. You know what I'm saying? It's like the weather. The weather can really affect your week. If tomorrow we have this huge thunderstorm or some terrible, you know, uh, some terrible weather this week, you know, it'd be good, I suppose, if we anticipated that, but really worrying about it can do nothing about it. 
We can't do anything about the weather. All we can do is report about it, we can predict it, we can think about how it's going to be, but we can't make it rain and we can't make it stop raining. It's much like that. Can't worry about the weather. I can prepare for it, I can buy an umbrella, but I can't worry about it. And I can't worry about my position of leadership, and I can't worry about my position of authority, and neither can you. It's a waste of energy. Number one, don't use relationships. Number two, don't be paranoid if you've got some influence, and we all have some. Number three, look back up to verse number six again, and let's look at this in light of Abner's character. Ishbosheth's paranoid. Abner, what's he doing? Well, something we've seen about Abner from the very beginning. When we first met Abner, we knew this was a sneaky kind of guy. We knew this guy was out to get all the power he could get. And sure enough, in verse number six, what does it say? He was out strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Duh, that's what he does. That's the kind of guy he is. He's constantly trying to get an edge. And you know what happens. He gets accused of having sex with Rizpah, the concubine of Saul. And what's his response? Verse number eight, he's livid. He's absolutely just frustrated and angry. Abner was angry because of what Ishbosheth said. And he said, am I a dog's head on Judah's side? It's a strange comment, but it's not a good one, right? What do you think I am? Notice what he says. This very day I am, circle this word, loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David, yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman? I can't believe this. I love that, and I made you circle the word loyal because it's like marching into your boss's office and saying, I'm the most loyal employer you got. I'm the guy that sticks here to the end. I, I come early and I stay late and blah, blah, blah. And then the next sentence, look at the next verse. May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I don't do for David what the Lord promised him on oath and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul. That's you. And establish David's throne over all of Israel, Judah, from Dan to Beersheba, the whole entire region. What's he saying? I'm the most loyal guy in the world. I can't believe you're accusing me of this, and I'm out of here now. Forget it. Look at that. Do you see the irony and the contradiction here? He's stating that he's the most loyal guy in the world, and you and I both know he's not the most loyal guy in the whole world. What's he concerned with? Strengthening his own position wherever he's found. He set up Ishbosheth as the king in the north so he could gain positions of power. It didn't work out with Ishbosheth, and then he says, What? I'm so loyal? <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm not loyal to you. Really, I'm loyal to me. Uh, so I'm going to David's side. And I'm going to make a deal with David. And in verses 12 through 15 and 16, we saw that he's made this deal with David. And now he comes and starts saying, you, you really should consider David as your king. It's a slimy guy, isn't it? Drop down to verse number 19. Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. He says, hey, these guys need a personal call. I'm really going to work the Benjamites because the Benjamites was the tribe from which Saul came. And they need a face-to-face. -face. No facts, no emails, nothing on this, but face-to-face. -face. I'm going to sit down and talk with them. And he starts to work them. Slimy. What's the point? Here was Abner doing whatever it takes to gain a position of power. I call it compromise. He's an opportunist. Number three in your outline. Don't be like Abner. Don't ever compromise to gain more power. And I already told you that power is intoxicating. And it gets us to do things we wouldn't normally do. And when you are in a position of power, maybe you've been promoted at work, and now you think, if I just got in with the partners, then I could really get promoted. You will start to do things that you know your Christian principles and the Word of God say you shouldn't do, but sometimes we'll compromise because we've got a taste of power. Let me quote this one for you. read a book this week, said this, Though I know intellectually how vulnerable I am to power, I am the last one to know when I succumb to its seduction. I know I'm vulnerable to power, but I'm the last one seemingly to figure out that I've succumbed to its seduction. You know who wrote that? Nixon's hatchet man, Chuck Colson. 
And Chuck Colson said, I got so ramped up into this, and now that it was all exposed, we got to see all the garbage in there. But he says, it was just so seducing. And I would compromise, and I would continue to compromise because I had a taste of power. And what's incredible about that book is he writes about his experience in the White House. He says, what was so interesting is that it seems that the Christians were the most susceptible to take the bait of power. He said they would come and we would bring the top uh, uh, clergy and we'd bring the high profile pastors to the White House. We'd take them out on the presidential yacht. We'd sit them in the Oval Office. We'd give them tours of the White House. And he said they would just melt. If they had any convictions, they'd check them in at the door because they were so intoxicated with power. Colson says, I was intoxicated with it. People were intoxicated with it. Christians were intoxicated with it. And we would do things we wouldn't normally do because we had a taste of what it was to be influential. Be careful. Some of you are in positions of power and authority right now. And if you were to take an honest look at your life, you may see things there that you 10 years ago wouldn't believe that you would have done. But because this thing has drawn you forward, you've compromised. Number three, don't be like Abner. Do not compromise to gain more power. Don't use relationships to get it. Don't be paranoid if you've got it. And don't compromise to get more of it. It's not worth it. One more character, number four. Fourth guy that we see in this passage, beginning in verse number 22, is a guy named Joab. Joab, you remember, is the commander of David's armies. He's the top-ranking military official. He was out doing David's bidding, doing some warfare, leading the troops. Abner had just left. Verse 23 spells it out. Abner and all the soldiers had arrived. And he was told that Abner, the son of Ner, had come to the king and that the king had sent him away and that he had gone in peace. That's a huge statement. He'd gone away making a deal, a covenant, a compact, agreeing to work the elders and the Benjamites in David's favor. David's working his side of the deal. I need Michael back because if I get Michael back on my side, the northern tribes will think that I'm ingratiating myself to them. That would be good for my political career. And everybody's involved in power moves. And Joab hears that Abner was there. Do you remember about the relationship between Joab and Abner? Last time we looked at these two guys, Joab was chasing Abner because Abner had just killed his little brother Asahel. Joab's little brother Asahel was killed by Abner and he was chasing him. And he had him backed up against the hillside. And about that time that he could have done him in and could have killed him, Abner pulls one out of the hat and says, let's have a little speech here about Israelites killing Israelites. And Abner, because Joab recognized and it rung true in his heart, he realized that he should not be doing what he was about to do, escalating this warfare because of personal revenge, recognizing that Asahel had been killed by the butt of Joab's sword, not by the pointy end. He was not killed as some terrorist act from Abner's part. It was self-defense, and that was clear. And it all rung true to him. So what did Abner do? He says, don't kill me. We shouldn't be fighting like this. What does Joab respond with? Okay, you're right. He blows the trumpets. He tells the troops, we can't fight them anymore. And he lets Abner go. Now, what has changed? We're going to see him here. He's livid right now that David would make a deal with Abner. He says in verse 24, what have you done, David? What in the world are you thinking? Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he's gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He, he's going to deceive you. He's here to observe your movements. He's going to find out everything you're doing. He is here on a covert operation. I can't believe you did that. We see no response from David. But Joab leaves David's presence, and he sends messengers to go grab Abner, who's heading back to the north to work his deal with the elders. 
and he brings him back. David didn't know anything about this. Verse 27, Abner returns to Hebron. Joab says, hey, 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 Abner, Abner, I hear you're making deals with David. That's great. There's just one last little issue that we need to speak about here. Can we get away privately here? Tell your soldiers just to go away because we need to talk. Joab takes him aside in the gateway as though to speak with him privately. And there, quote unquote, here's how the paper reads at least, to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. Now I say that tongue in cheek, that's how the paper's read because I'm thinking to myself, is that really why he killed him? I mean, let's think about this. He had a chance to kill him. He had the power to kill him. He had the opportunity to kill him. He had the motivation to kill him. The the kill was fresh in his mind, and he could have killed him, but he didn't kill him. He didn't kill him on the battlefield. He didn't send troops out to covertly kill him. He didn't assassinate him. He didn't have him assassinated. He had resolved himself to the fact that it wasn't right to kill Abner because of Asahel's death. He'd already decided that. Now, what's the difference? What's the difference? What's the difference for Joab? The difference for Joab is that Abner's here now trying to work a deal with my boss. And this town ain't big enough for both of us. You're listening to Focal Point, and today we're learning about the danger of power plays from Pastor Mike Fabares. Now you can listen again online or purchase the message on CD when you go to focalpointradio.org. Just look for the sermon called, Some Losing Strategies for People of Influence. Well, you've probably noticed that although Pastor Mike is a trained theologian, he presents God's Word in a way anyone can understand and apply. At Focal Point, we're committed to exploring and proclaiming the depths of Scripture to those in desperate need of truth. And with our mission in mind, we're sending a handy resource to everyone who contributes towards the ministry this month. It's a book called The Essential Scriptures by Kevin Zuber. While it's a tool to use alongside other Bible study texts, you don't need to be in seminary to understand it. It's completely accessible and easy to use. Learn more when you visit focalpointradio.org. Well, every Christmas, families decorate their homes with figures of Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. But no nativity set is truly complete without the Star of Bethlehem hanging above the manger. Yeah, you know, it is interesting that Luke doesn't even mention the star in his account of Christ's birth. Right? Matthew is the gospel that tells us of magi being led by a star that led them to Jesus, right? People wonder, like, well, what prompted these magi to search for Jesus? I mean, did news of the shepherd reach that distant land? Was it Daniel's prophecies when he was there in exile? Was it angels that appeared to them or instruct them? I mean, how did this happen? Well, we don't know. We don't have the precise details in the scripture, but we do know that the magi left their country And in the east, there in Mesopotamia, and that star, they followed it all the way to find the one who was born the king of the Jews, as Matthew 2 says. So, I don't know, the idea of that star leading, right? I I don't want to make a big stretch here, but I'm going to say focal point, right? We want to see some commonality with that star in Bethlehem. We'd like to guide people, just like that star did, and point them to Christ. That's the goal. We want men and women to follow Christ, and we want them to follow Christ through this program. Every day, Focal Point airs on hundreds of radio stations, thousands of people listening on our website and our mobile app. We're just grateful that they're hearing God's word, the centerpiece of every program that we broadcast. And the goal is to point them to the truth of Christ. This ministry wouldn't be possible without the help of friends and visionaries like you who want to see this continue. We really rely on these gifts, especially during Christmas, to fund the work that God's called us to do. 
to explore and proclaim the depths of Scripture, as we often say. We want to do that on the radio. We want to do that online. We'd like to do that in print. So if you want to see Focal Point continue its mission to be that beacon of hope and that truth across this country and even around the world, then contact us today with that special year-end gift, and together we'll keep pointing people to Christ. Thank you so much for your support. To give your special year-end gift to Focal Point, just call 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or go online to focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm Dave Drewey, inviting you to join us again Tuesday as we conclude our message from 2 Samuel on Power Plays, right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.